So have you guys ever been really excited for someone to return? There's someone in, in particular who's left and I really wish would come back and that guy is Leighton Cure. Do you guys know who this guy is? Oh my gosh. You guys probably weren't even alive when this guy used to actually win tennis matches. Legit, it used to happen. But the reason why I love this guy so much is I actually like the late, late, not very good Leighton Hewitt because I've never seen someone fail with so much flair. Like, that guy had guts. He would just never give up, but, like, very rarely did he win. But I just loved his heart. It was getting into it. I was pumped. So um, I would just, I just love it if this guy ever came back. I'd be pumped for his return. But have you guys ever dreaded someone returning. Now, the classic example is maybe your parents when they've gone out and you've done something wrong and the standard one that got me was broken windows, yeah? And I've got a theory about broken windows. I reckon 80% of windows break when your parents weren't there, probably because that's the prime time to play the indoor sports your parents are great fans of. This one always got me and I would absolutely dread that moment where I'd see the car pull up, my parents were home and I knew exactly what they were going to say. I dreaded their return home. So sometimes we're excited for people to return, for people to come back. Other times we're fearful of someone to return. So my big question tonight is, are you eager for Jesus' return? When he comes back to judge the world and will raise to a new eternal life, his faithful people, are we eager for that return of Jesus? Maybe you feel like you should be, but if you're honest, you're not too sure. You're not sure if you're going to make the cut. You're not sure you've done what you're supposed to have done. Maybe you're not even sure if it's going to happen or if this return is worth it. Now, if you're feeling uneasy or worried about Jesus returning, don't stress, I don't reckon you're alone. Actually, I often feel I'm not ready or doubt I deserve heaven. But I always come out of those moments confident. Do you know why? It's because of passages like this one tonight. Paul is absolutely fired up about heaven. All right? Now, this is a picture I got from the internet. It's of a, of a Bible on fire. Um, and I, I like to think that it's the Holy Spirit that set it on fire, not someone making a political statement. But... But this, but this is how we're meant to read this passage tonight, legit. Like it's on fire, in excited expectation of the prize to come to God's faithful people, the prize of eternity in heaven with Jesus. Now, if we cheat a bit and we skip ahead of this passage, skip ahead to the end, you can read it for yourselves. Um, take a look at uh, 3 verse 20. Paul says, But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. This is how we should feel about the return of Jesus, eager and excited to see our saviour. And we're stoked that our lives will one day be transformed as we get a new body like Jesus and a new home in heaven on the day of the resurrection. If we know that's real and we know that's coming, we can actually get on this excitement train with Paul. But heaven can often feel so far off and so uncertain. 
So tonight my hope is you will see we, like Paul, can be certain and be excited for now and for what's to come. And I will show you this first by looking at the goal, showing you the big goal of the Christian life and how that points us towards heaven. And second, showing us the confidence we can have that we'll make it. So first, the goal of the Christian life. Now this might seem like a really weird place to start when I'm trying to get you pumped for eternity, talking about the goal of the here and now, but it's where Paul keeps going to in the passage we're looking at tonight because Paul's goals for here and now are actually so closely connected to what he sees will be the most awesome in eternity. So the goal of the Christian life, you ready for this, is to know Christ. Now where did I pull that from the passage? Well, actually, I stole it. It's a bit of gold from last week's passage um, that Will was talking about. So you might, if you've got your Bibles open in the passage, I want you actually to sneak back into last week's passage, verse 10. And that's where we're going to unpack for us the goal of life. We get it in verse 10. He says, I want to know Christ. Now, that's simple but big, guys. And we get this fleshed out for us in three different parts. Keep going on in verse 10. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection. So part of this goal is to know Christ and what he did for us in his death and resurrection. But keep on going into the passage. You see the second part Paul also wants us to see. He wants to participate in Jesus' sufferings, becoming like him in his death. So Paul's not just content knowing about Christ, but he wants to live like Christ as well, to suffer and die like he died. But that might seem weird. How are we to suffer like Christ and die like he did? Do we need to break out the crucifixes tonight? Is that what we need to do? Nah, obviously that's not what he's saying. It's saying we need to suffer like Jesus did, telling people of the way they can be saved through him. And like Jesus died and gave his life to save our life, we need to let the life we want to We want to live for ourselves, die, and actually live our life for Jesus instead. Which brings us to the third part of knowing Christ in verse 11, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. The goal is to attain, which just means receive the resurrection from the dead, which again is connected with knowing Christ, because this is just us coming in to the very presence of Jesus to live with Christ. So the goal we get of the Christian life, it's pretty clear now, is to know Christ and actually to be like him in every way possible. Now this might seem like Paul has just gone chronic fangirl, like he's not content just knowing about Jesus, he wants to talk like Jesus, dress like Jesus, walk like him, and even wants to spend eternity in heaven with Jesus. Is he just going over the top? But do you know what makes Paul this way and his goals so Jesus-centered? It's because he knows just how good Jesus is. The hope he brings, the healing he brings, the love and faithfulness he shares with us. So as we move further into the chapter, Paul is constantly going to be referring back to this goal because it connects so closely to the prize of eternal life that he's excited for. Earlier I said I would let you know how can we remain focused on how good eternal life's going to be? Well, the way Paul sees it, the more we discover about Christ, the more we know about how 
good it's going to be when we're in the presence of, of Him for eternity. It's like we keep on getting glimpses of the price to come in eternity, the more we continue to learn and grow in Christ. You see, I I see the Christian life and living for Christ a little like walking down the corridors of a really fancy hotel next door to the kitchen, right? Walking down the corridor next to the kitchen and you start getting these sweet smells and these sweet scents of the banquet that you're about to eat in the dining room. But you haven't arrived yet to taste the food. You see, I think as we grow in knowledge and love in Jesus in the here and now, we get more excited and we, taste, we get a taste for what we're actually going to experience up close and personal with Jesus in eternity. So where this lands for us is though it takes sacrifice to commit our life to knowing and living for Christ, the more we discover about Him, the more we'll actually be excited to spend eternity with Him. That's the first thing that will get us fired up for the return of Jesus. Knowing the character of God we'll be spending, spending time with in eternity right now will get us excited for that time when He finally comes. The second thing I want to show you guys is the confidence we can have that we'll make it to eternity. Now, rolling on from that intimidating goal where we're to give our life, to give our everything to knowing Jesus, you can't help think, am I pursuing Jesus like that? Am I living a good enough life for Jesus? Can I be confident on the day Jesus returns? But listen to what Paul says about his own life in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already attained, already arrived at my goal. You see, Paul hasn't obtained eternal life or reached his goal either. So not even super Christian Paul has kicked this goal of the Christian life yet. He is saying in this verse, although he's chasing after knowing Jesus and living for him, he isn't yet perfect and he isn't yet in heaven. But he is still sure he's going to be saved. So what does that mean for us? Well, it reminds us that God's standard isn't perfection. It seems obvious, but it needs to be said, it's okay for our lives, it's okay if our lives aren't perfect yet. And we shouldn't be expecting them to be perfect anytime soon. So I don't want you guys to fool yourselves into thinking, unless you're perfect, you're not going to be on track to be with Jesus in heaven. Paul isn't perfect, but he is certain one day he will be made perfect when Jesus returns. But until then, he says in the second half of the sentence, in verse 12, if you're following along, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. So though he hasn't reached his goal, though he's had setbacks, he presses on to live the life he was saved to live. But here comes the challenge in verse 13. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, our goal, but the one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Although there is grace with God and although there is forgiveness, Paul doesn't fail to take hold of this life that Jesus has given him to live for God. He actually runs harder, not letting what is behind him slow him down. This means we can't sit still if we're to live a life for Jesus. And we will be held back if we actually hold on to the things that are in our past. For some of us, we might have grown up in Christian homes and we might think, you know, I was pretty good before I became a Christian. So now I'm saved, 
I'm sorted because I'm already a good person. If you kind of think that, I want you to realize tonight that even Paul isn't saying that. Paul was a guy who spread Christianity across Greece, Asia, and throughout the entire Roman Empire. But not even he was allowed to rest on his past successes. So if you don't think you need to work at anything in your Christian life, you need to check yourself for what you actually could be doing and shaping in your life. For others of us, we might not think we're good enough. We actually might be holding on to our past guilt and shame. Paul is telling us to leave that in the past as well. Whatever you've done, I guarantee you, Paul has done worse in God's eyes. He humiliated, jailed, and even killed Christians before he became one. If anyone was unforgivable, it was Paul. But Paul was forgiven, and he was chosen special by Jesus to be an example that even sin as great as Paul's does not overpower the strength of Jesus' death on the cross to forgive. So if you're still carrying that guilt and shame and think you have to wear it because you deserve it, know God wanted Paul to say these words. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward. You see, God called Paul to serve him and then to take his prize despite his guilt and shame. So if you're holding on to guilt, I want to ask you guys to let it go tonight. Ask for forgiveness and know you are forgiven and that you are called towards a heavenly prize just like Paul. Paul is urging us in this passage tonight to put our fears aside, work hard and seek the goal to be like Christ just until one day we'll be with him in heaven. Finally, in verse 17, Paul points us to how our community and Christian leaders can point us and give us confidence of what is to come as well. Verse 17 says, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. While Paul is a helpful example, you see, of a life to live for Christ, we also have been given other models just like Paul. As Paul follows Jesus and we read and learn from Paul's life, we have also been given godly examples amongst us here to watch how we live. Now, some of you guys might look at your youth leaders and you might cringe a little bit. And you look, and look, like that's kind of, that's a fair, that's a fair thing to do every now and then. We are pretty daggy. But when you look at your youth leaders and you think maybe they're a bit uncool, maybe they're a bit cringeworthy, but do you think that when you see them go off and talk to that guy or girl that you would never talk to? Do you think they're awkward and, and way too weird when they are quick to ask how you're going and what you've been up to? And do you think less of them in the way that they give up their Friday night to hang out with you and ask you how you're going with Jesus? Or in fact, are some of these uncool traits similar to Jesus' unpopular traits? Do you guys actually need to be a little bit more daggy, a little bit more in-your-face Christian to be more true to your relationship with Jesus? Are you guys making yourself vulnerable or putting yourself out there for Jesus? 
Now, if you are taking notice of Christian role models in your life and listening, to, listening in to how they speak into your life, I reckon that's just another piece that can help us put sin and selfish desires in your heart to death and pursue this goal Paul has put in front of us. So to finish up, I just want to leave you guys with this challenge. If Jesus was coming back this Sunday, how would you live your life differently tomorrow? What would you do? What would you spend, who would you spend your time with? How would you feel about his return? Would you change anything that you did today? Let those things, guys, be things you pray for and continue to work on with urgency each day as we eagerly await our Saviour's return.